I'm from the R, the I, the C, the H, the M, the O, the N, the D. That's my self-teaching. The R, the I, the C, the H, the M, the O, the N, the D. That's my self-teaching. The R, the I, the C, the H, the M, the O, the N, the D. That's my self-teaching. Welcome, listeners, to a very special edition this week of Dun 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 Combined Show. It's Race Capital with RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. You can't hear me, but I'm over here <laughs> screaming mania. <laughs> and today we've got a special double show. We're going to call this show Plead the Fifth. Love. So this show that's happening for two hours, because we have a lot to cover, Mm -hmm. we're going to have all eight of the fifth ward candidates here. And you all know that Race Capital and RVA Dirt, we get down to business here in the capital Mm -hmm. city and we ask the questions that the people want to know. So understanding that we've got many people on the ballot, which we think is a great thing, democracy and access for all. So let's make the space, let's take it for the two hours, and because every Wednesday we're coming at you from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. with Race Capital, followed by RVA Dirt, we said, why not bring this together and have our voices? Sister show, sister love. And uh, of course, my co-host is still back there, Kat Maudlin Jackson. You can't hear her either, but she is waving, and we're just really excited to get this going. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. So we'll take a a minute to just explain the rules. We're going to have a nice clean fight here, boxers. Okay. Uh, No low jabs. We're going to ask you questions that have been collected from our listeners. Some questions that we've kind of worded as well for content. Don't be afraid. We promise. We're really (laughs) nice, actually. And um, that's it. That's it. Only rule, though, we don't want you guys talking over each other. So... Be considerate of your fellow constituents, because right now you guys are all constituents. And if elected, you never know. You might need the person that's sitting beside you that you just punched in the face. Mm, mm, So mm. it's always good to be nice and kind. No permanent enemies. There you go. We're going to give you guys a opportunity to introduce yourself and give a little campaign splurb. You're going to get three to four minutes. We'll give you a little timer, let you know, since we're doing, you know, lovely land of radio. And then we'll go into these questions. So let's get it jumping. We'll start with our people who showed up on time. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. (laughs) We're going to start over here with Graham. She's not teasing. I'm not, but go ahead. (laughs) As a school teacher, I had to be on time, right? Yes. Um, So my name is Graham Sturm. I'm a product of Chesterfield County Public Schools, graduated from Manchester High School in 2005. I went to Virginia Tech, a proud Hokie, lived in Blacksburg for about six years, and uh, I was there on campus during the Virginia Tech shooting. Um, so it's kind of um, a, a point a pointed issue for me when we talk about uh, gun violence and gun control. When we talk about uh, what I do for a living, I'm a teacher at Armstrong High School, which is here in the city. I'm a product of the Richmond Teacher Residency Program, um, which is a program that is run out of VCU that helps facilitate um, getting people who otherwise might not be in urban teaching to come teach in the city. Um, Me and my husband, we got engaged before marriage equality was legal in Virginia. We got married before marriage equality was legal in the United States. And we bought a house in the Mulberry South area of um, Richmond, which is kind of over near Carytown. And we've been there for um, about four or five years now. Got a little dog named Levi. He's a jewel of my eye, apple of his eye. Love each other dearly. 
I got into the race for two reasons, to push the conversation towards education and make sure I kept everybody honest and making two blanket promises to anybody that votes for me, sound judgment and uh, good common sense. And the other thing would be um, to push the conversation towards education in Richmond Public Schools. Thank you. Thanks right. so much, Graham. Ms. Mines. Good evening, everyone. Robin Mines, born and raised in the 5th District. I was educated in the 5th District. I'm a graduate of the George Worth High School. I am also a graduate of the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union University. I'm an associate minister currently at the Hood Temple AME Zion Church located at Adams and Clay Street. I'm an honorably discharged Air Force veteran and I love people. I have worked with you in PTA, civic associations. I've founded and ran a Georgia Fifth Alumni Association, which raised over $20,000 in scholarship money and assisted families in emergency situations. I feel that my years of service within the community, my military service, and my service within the clergy ranks gives me the wherewithal to lead this district, uh, unifying this district. I'm all for collaboration, partnerships, and unity inclusive of diversity. Uh, we need to come together as a city. We need to change the mentality of our citizens, as well as be more transparent in our government. People need to know the truth. They cannot make sound decisions and vote if they do not know the truth. Our schools need strengthening. We need to make more programs available for our teachers, housing grants. We need to attract stronger teachers. We need to build our structures and take care of maintain the structures that we have. Also, our safety in our, in our streets and our communities is a serious problem, and it needs to be addressed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hello. I'm Thad Williamson. I live in Bird Park. I've been here 14 years. I'm a professor at the University of Richmond. I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I got politically engaged during 1988 with the presidential campaign of, of Jesse Jackson. Attended Brown University. Did a lot of student activism there. Worked for Progressive Think Tank in Washington for four years, and then uh, attended Union Theological Seminary in New York, which, if you don't home is, know, is kind of the home of liberation theology in the United States. Then got a doctorate uh, in political science at Harvard before being recruited to, to come to U of R. So I teach classes on social justice. My students are out there in the community. We're dealing in the classroom with heavy duty issues around economic justice, racial justice, social justice. And at the same time, they're seeing firsthand in Richmond Public Schools you know, the legacy of decades, centuries of, of racism, you know, centered in, in Richmond. So, you know, my students really pushed me to go out there and do more. So, as you know, in academia, you have a thing called publish or perish. So I did that, to be frank, my first few years here. But then about 2011, like uh, Robin, I came to the realization that uh, I like people too and got way more involved in the community through the Mayor's Anti-Poverty Commission under Mayor Jones, worked closely with uh, Ellen Robertson and a cast of maybe not thousands, but many dozens of people representing a cross-section of the community, including public housing activists like Lily Estes and others who we intentionally brought to the table to have a voice in shaping what would become the Office of Community Wealth Building, the first office of its kind in the United States focused on a wealth building perspective to addressing poverty comprehensively. I led that office. It's been very successful since I left building that foundation. And then I later worked in the mayor's office on issues of education and also performance management. I'm running for, uh, for this seat because I believe I have the experience and the know-how to get things done in the 13 months for the residents of the 5th District. Thank you. 
Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. Hey. Um, hey, I'm Stephanie Lynch. I'm a resident of Woodland Heights, south of the river, um, and I'm running in our beautiful Fist District, which is so dynamic and diverse. It's our most diverse um, and dynamic uh, district uh, in Richmond. Um, I was I came to Richmond by way of VCU. I was a, a VCU alum, graduated uh, with my biopsych, women's studies, and African-American studies major um, from VCU. Came out, was a social worker in the community at an adult career technical institute. Um, had 550 people on my caseload. 52 of them were homeless. I had a support group for ex-offenders uh, when I was there, um, support group for survivors of domestic violence, um, and worked with a myriad of issues day-to-day um, with with our, our students there, um, many of whom who were residents of the 5th District. Um, uh, after I came out of uh, after I came out of social work, I uh, social work there. There were many stories that impacted my life deeply and profoundly, and I wanted to go back and devote my life to um, not saving just one person out of the river, but building a bridge through policy and, and saving multiple, saving communities at a time through through policy work. And so I went back and got my master's in social work, administration, and policy practice. Um, and after uh, after that, became an advocate in the General Assembly, fought for Medicaid expansion, um, addiction recovery treatment services and a host of other um, issues uh, centered around social justice and um, increasing access to medical and mental health care. Um, so uh, reason why I'm running, um, again, there are so many stories from my time in direct practice as a social worker that, that touched me deeply, and I think so many issues um, for us still to tackle, so many wounds that are open um, and seeping that we have not fixed here in Richmond. Um, and so uh, one of the, the individual story that inspired me the most is my um, is my godson and he lives with me now and goes to Westover Hills Elementary School and I want to want him to live in a world where his middle and high school experience is as equal quality as his um, uh, elementary school experience and we're zoned to George with so I, I, I really want to see us um, fix education and all the other um, uh, issues in Richmond that um, we know need to heal. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Jermichael McCoy here. Um, glad to be with you, ladies. Thank you. Um, candidates, good to see you all again. Uh, I am uh, uh, honored to be here. I'm honored to run for this seat uh, for 5th City Council District. Uh, originally, I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, just outside the rolling hills of the Smoky Mountains. Uh, grew up in an environment similar to a lot of our young people here in the city. Uh, four generations of my family lived in public housing when I was a kid. Um, but I am the product of, you know, when people and communities invest in you. Uh, my mother, you know, moved us out of public housing uh, and became a business owner, became a homeowner, uh, laid a foundation for my uh, myself. Um, my dad is a Navy veteran. Um, even though my parents weren't uh, together, they always make sure I was supported, uh, and me and my brothers were as well. Um, the first in my family to graduate from college, uh, I attended, uh, as I say, the, the greatest historically black college in the United States, which is Tennessee State University in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, an experience there that changed my life, uh, where we live out a mission to think, work, and serve. And so this is something I'm new to. This is what I'm something I'm born into. Um, at Tennessee State, uh, I had the opportunity to have internship opportunities and professors that invested in me. I later matriculated to our nation's capital, uh, got my master's in sports industry management at Georgetown University, uh, worked in policy for the NCAA while I was a student up there, graduated like a lot of grad students in the United States. You know, no job, 
uh, job hunting. I uh, had opportunity to, to come here to the city of Richmond, uh, where I now work in the sporting goods industry and engage in a variety of service activities. I'm president of the Urban League Greater Richmond Young Professionals. I'm a proud member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, and I serve on the board for Richmond 300. So thank you all. I'm running to, because I want to see as Richmond grows that we grow together. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I mentioned in the beginning that we had eight candidates running. Mm-hmm. We've only heard from five right now, so that means we're missing a few. Yep, we're missing Chuck Richardson, mm-hmm. and we're missing Mamie Taylor, and our Nick De Silva. Nick De Silva is also not here. So if they come in, then we'll allow them to join the show and answer the questions. But also know, as you're listening, the candidates have been given a strict time limit. So if you hear them rushing to finish their statement, it's because <laughs> our um, lovely folks, Kat and Melissa, are waving signs at them. So we've been. Able able to hear a little bit from the openers. Thank you to all the candidates for that. And we're just going to jump right into these questions. Mm-hmm. If you guys would please tell our listeners what led you to run for this special election. For this particular election. Some of you said why you're running, that sort of thing. Like give us some uh, race capital specifically. Let's talk about place, space, and time. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about context, contextualizing the time right now, the mm-hmm. special election. Yep. And we'll start in reverse. Jermichael, since you went last, you can go first now. Oh, thank you for having me. What, what led me to run to the seat is that we have a vacant um, our current city councilman, Park Angelasto, was resigning. Uh, news got out that he moved out the district, but he also announced that he wasn't going to run for re-election beforehand. And, uh, I, you know, I salute the councilman. I think he does a great job. But to the extent where I, I, me personally, didn't really think about entering politics as a servant at the local level because I thought he was doing a great job. Um, and I told myself initially that I would consider running if he didn't run again. And then when that opportunity became about, um, you know, I decided, you know, of course, to consult my faith in prayer, but also to see what are ways that I can help improve my community. Um, I drive around these streets, I get engaged with the Urban League, see what's happening with our young people, see what's happening with our elders when it comes to housing, seeing the lack of economic pathways for folks. Um, and I believe, that, you know, I have the skill set, the experience, uh, the expertise, but also uh, the talent to get, you know, results done. And so that is why I'm running for city council. Our city's growing for the first time in 50 years, but we have to make sure everybody grows with it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm uh, passionate and engaged to do. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, so um, I share a lot of the same sentiments as my colleague. Um, I think our current city council member, um, Parker Angelesto, has done a fantastic job, and he's been a great role model, and he's set a great template for um, how all of us can engage and um, and can be a, a truly great representative of the 5th District. Um, for me, um, local politics is something that, um, and, and getting and giving back um, through impactful policy change at the local level has been something um, I've always wanted to do and, and seen myself doing much farther into the future. So the door opened um, and at, at, with with the timing of, of Parker Angelesto's um, resignation. And so I decided to walk through it. Um, and when I heard that there had never been a woman um, to win this seat, and I do think that there are special qualities and characteristics that women bring to the table, um, um, when in office, um, one of those things is listening, and and results and action. I think starts with listening. And none of the policy ideas that I have gotten are really my own. It's by listening to the community members and then seeing where the fault lines are and being creative and innovative in how we come up with solutions. Um, and I think that's a, an approach that is unique um, uh, uh, for women. We tend to listen and lead. Um, later um and so (laughs) and so um uh the other thing that i think 
timing wise that kind of allowed me or enabled me or empowered me to, to step out um, is because I had been reading so many of the wonderful recommendations that have come out of our master plan. And then I kind of was looking back um, at, at kind of where we were as a city. And we're at this great inflection point um, where we are entering into a period of growth. Um, and I think that we have so much more improvement left to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm notoriously impatient. And instead of you know studying something or writing reports, I want to really get to the heart of action um, and see that happen. So um, that's uh, you know, for me, going to be one of my main missions is to really accomplish some of the things that we've been talking about for a long time and make sure that we are um, uh, growing together as a city. Thank awesome. you. So I could go a lot of places with this good question. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I do have a lot of experience uh, in City Hall and I do have a lot of experience taking um, plans and creating action. I do have a lot of experience listening and leading. But I would say that you like it's the heart of the matter might be surprising is going to City Hall in 2014 as a white male in that environment, given this ridiculous mandate to try to fix poverty with a two and a half million dollar budget, going in there with a plan and with a lot of support, but needing lots and lots of help. That was a position of vulnerability that forced me to open up, listen to people in a deeper way at before. I'm so grateful for the dozens and dozens of city employees who helped me because they believed in the work, they believed in the vision, and believe this is the opportunity. Through that, I built relationships and a commitment to doing the work and a love for the work of the city of Richmond. It compelled me to jump in mm. when this comes because I've been a part of really good work. I think there's much more to be done. And I want to continue and support you know the stuff, building on stuff I've done, fighting poverty, supporting schools, making the city government work a little bit better, building on the knowledge I have. And it's a pretty rare combination. There aren't many professors out there who built city agencies from the ground up got state grants, got national grants, got national credibility to do something special and different in Richmond. That's why I'm writing is to build on that in a different role as a policymaker. Richmond, I've seen it go through several transitions of growth um, and economic development, some successes, some failures. However, over the time that I've seen and, and, and after serving with people in the community, too many areas are overlooked. Um, the, the distribution of equity is not fair. Um, we have allowed our schools to dwindle. We have allowed certain neighborhoods to dwindle. We have cut out a lot of black neighborhoods that were working class neighborhoods because of the structures of our freeways and expressways that have come through this town. And now we're facing a development uh, project that is proclaiming to address a lot of these issues. Well, I'm running because I want to make sure people the poor people in our communities are going to be serviced, given the opportunities to uh, invest in property, um, invest in businesses, um, training for the jobs that are future jobs that are coming to this area. So that is why I'm running for the people. I live in a zip code 23224 where the bullets are flying. The crime, we have infestation of drug dealers, we have prostitution, and I'm working closely with the mayor and our police department to see what we can do about combating those issues. Because we have people who are afraid and ready to sell their homes, and I'm hoping to convince them to stay in the community and fight for our community. We cannot give up. This is Graham Sturm. Um, So a very specific reason why I got into this race, um, recently RPS 
Well, you've, you've probably heard that they were fully funded, but that only came after, on the heels of $13 million in budget cuts. And some of those cuts were specifically to personnel. You've got members of the FACE team, which really helped with attendance, bringing our students who struggled with attendance and making sure that their parents were aware that their students needed to get to school. It also included um, nine instructional assessment analysts from one of the central office um, locations. But those are people who actually worked in the school buildings. They helped children, they helped teachers, they helped administrators. And these nine people were actively promoted out of their classrooms. They were teachers at one point. They were actively promoted out of their classrooms to be able to take on more of a leadership position. And then when it came time to make ends meet, we have budget cuts that had that forced these people to be let go. These were some of our best and brightest people, and so that that's that's a huge struggle. So in terms of a spe- very specific reason as to why I got into this race, I saw decisions that we were making at in Richmond that negatively hurt children. Um, you know, I've been at Armstrong for seven years, so I understand. S- some of the the negative effects and consequences that our budget process has had on them, but also to just in, in terms of a, a very specific, we're going in the wrong direction. Letting those people go was was wrong, um, and and quite frankly, now there's a uh, some of them kept their jobs, but they were all told that they were let go. It was it was it was not a good look. It was not a good look. Thank you all for that. Let's say if you're elected, and I, you, some some of you guys have already kind of answered parts of this question already. How do you plan to work on equity in whatever that word means to you in your fifth district and also citywide? And go ahead and tell us what equity means to you mm-hmm. and start with that and then how you'll do that in the district and citywide. Mm-hmm. Anybody that wants to go first because they're so excited to talk about equity? <laughs> go I'll for approach it. it. Michael McCoy here. So what do I plan to do to work on equity and what equity means to me is one, it's giving people the resources they need to, to move ahead. And so the way I plan to tackle that, especially through housing, um, we have an affordability crisis here in our city, uh, but we also have an opportunity to address some of the past wrongs through redlining, uh, through the lack of home ownership, through insurance and mortgage um, lenders who didn't invest especially in a lot of our black and underserved communities. And so one of the ways we can do this is making sure our elders are not being pushed out of their homes uh, through creating more pathways for education, but also making sure we're streamlining the process for them to get in our tax abatement programs. A very small percentage of our residents who are actually qualified are in these programs. I've talked to voters across the district, many of our elders, um, and I live my proud homeowner on the South side, but the the American dream, the American goal of owning homes uh, and having uh, investment in your communities is becoming harder to attain. And so one, addressing that through different uh, tax abatement programs for our seniors and elders working with uh, our faith community and our neighborhood associations, but also making sure we're working with our builders. I'm not in the building business, um, but we need people to build our homes in the city of Richmond. We have more people moving to our city today uh, than any time in our history in the last 50 years. We are growing as a city. I've seen the data through my work with Richmond 300 uh, and the City Master Advisory Council. Um, how are we making sure that is sustainable, uh, but also equitable, making sure that we are promoting more inclusionary zoning practices to make sure we are scaling up our affordable housing and also affordable housing that isn't 80 percent of the area meeting an income. We're talking about that 30 to 60 percent, those folks making uh, less than 30,000. Because when we talk about affordable housing, it's not always affordable if, you know, mm. somebody is making like 50, 60K mm-hmm. based on some of the numbers work. So uh, that's the way, you know, I plan to, you know, address these issues on equity. Who wants to go next? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. This is Graham. Um, so 
for me, there's a big difference between equality and equity. Equality, everybody gets the same. Equity, everybody gets what they need. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a situation in which certain, I'm going to speak to, as a teacher, I'm going to always speak to children. Um, we've got a situation in which certain children aren't getting what they need. The school that I work at is the recipient of some federal funds that helps make up the difference. And on at a city level, we could do such a better job. And there's some things at a city council level um, or just at a city level, we're not going to be able to address or fix unless the, the state or the federal government intervenes. But at a city, at a city, at a local level, there are things that we can do to really address that. Um, if we talk about equity, 61% of the housing projects in the city of Richmond sit inside of Armstrong High School's attendance zone. That, 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 con that kind of concentrated poverty is very difficult to work with as a teacher. I love the kids that I teach, and I, I really do wish that they just got some more exposure to, um, to, to lifestyles outside of what they're constantly forced. It, you know, it's the, they see it as the, the rule rather than the exception. And, but I know from my life travels that what they're, what they're getting is wrong. And so we can't address that. Thad, would you like to go next? Sure, Thad, Thad Williamson. Um, yeah, I think in terms of equity, I think Graham has captured the definition very well. We need very badly, and I think it's something that could, be, could, could get done in the first year, an equity audit of all agencies to look at everything from grass cutting to fixing the median to snow removal, all these things that have been locked in place for many, many years. And it's no secret, you know, middle-class privileged people, when they call more likely to get an answer or more likely to have the time to call. And so I think that's, that's a balance and it's particularly important in, in the fifth district because we do have uh, the diversity of, of income levels. So I think focusing on the, the basic functions of city government and getting everybody to think through equity lens would be a huge step forward. I would think the performance management office and budget, which I helped set up a couple of years ago, could take the lead role in that as it's devaluing every agency to force all of them to articulate their goals and report very specifically how are you doing on equity? What are the goals you're setting? So that's one big step. So specific things for the fifth district, building the new George with high school, we badly need. And as you know, the school board initially approved funding for it, but then school construction costs in the first three schools have soared due to changing market conditions and whatnot. So there's only a little bit of money left for, for, for planning. We need to find a designated revenue source to be able to jumpstart that because we can't wait to 2023. That the school is bursting at the seams, projected to grow. Latino population has come in because of rezoning and part because of growth. That can be sort of our flagship equity project, not only for the fifth district, but for the city of Richmond. And then finally, you know, building on community wealth building, I gotta talk about that, but, but getting those career stations, which got 600 people jobs last year. We need one in the Randolph area, and we need one in the Swansboro area, and people have, can have walk-in access you know, to, to career and supportive services. So you know, I, I think um, it's a framework that should inform all of city government, but those are some pretty big level action items to get going immediately. Just to, uh, Robin Mines here, just to piggyback off of what my constituents have stated, um, the explanation of equity and equality, as well as uh, that, um, of course, I think there should have been a new George with a long time ago, being a graduate from George with. Um, but in this first year, um, yes, auditing our agencies, because what I've come to find out, even uh, housing development uh, agencies, they're not doing their jobs. They're hiring, I don't know what kind of contractors they're having to do work. People are going without heat in the winter. Um, it's just deplorable. Our deplorable housing has to be addressed, and it has to be addressed right now. Mm -hmm. We have nowhere for these people to go. At, as of to date, but the, at, down the future, I'm hoping that we would develop mixed income 
housing developments. I lived in Shoreview, Minnesota, where I lived in an aplex. And then there were two to $300,000 houses in the same neighborhood and more aplexes. So there was a blend of all sorts of income, family types, single, um, families with kids, um, couples. I mean, it was just awesome. And we all went to school together. We all went to the Y together. We had neighborhood functions together and nearly zero crime, maybe domestic issues at best. So this is something I'm looking forward to the future. But right now we have to audit and make sure that each agency is doing what it's supposed to be doing and doing it right and keeping people in mind that these are human beings we're dealing with. So I'm going to talk about equity as the goal to remove barriers. And for me, barriers and what I've seen in our communities that exist in Richmond. And if we want to remove those barriers and deliver real results, it's really three or four things. Um, one, we have the second highest eviction rate in uh, the nation. And so there are things that we can do right now, tomorrow, mm -hmm. to ensure that predatory landlords um, and that rezoning laws reflect and remove those the housing barriers. Um, two, you can't get a job. It is very, very hard to get a job in this city and across our country and in the state if you've got an F on your report card. Mm -hmm. You've got a felony. The barriers for you are insurmountable and even more challenging. And right now in the city, we are um, uh, doing background checks and random drug testing mm -hmm. on some of our city employees. We need to remove that. And we also need to do a ban the box and work with our business partners in um, removing barriers for those who have felonies on their uh, record and to help them and to do partnerships to help those folks get um, uh, get stable employment. Mm -hmm. um, the third biggest barrier that I've seen is child care. Believe it or not, that is one of, uh, if you, there is a recent um, study that ranked um, cities and how they were doing their, their local match at child care voucher programs. Um, we're not there. Um, hmm. uh, <laughs> um, matter of fact, Dwight Jones cut $1.8 million out of the child care voucher uh, budget um, back in 2012. Um, I actually had students that um, who were going to the Adult Career Technical Institute at the time that had to drop out um, because they did not have, uh, because they lost their child care vouchers. Child care is a huge um, barrier. So fully funding our community facilities and ensuring that we have fully funded summer camps and after school programs, high quality after school programs um, is, a, is an absolute must. Um, the fourth barrier is transportation. Uh, if it takes you an hour and a half to get to a job, is that really, have you really created um, an equitable situation for someone if they do not have a car? No, we have not. And, and we have taken away bus lines um, that go that run to Chesterfield, where all where most of the jobs are for our our residents, particularly south of the river. We don't have we don't even have a bus running regularly from Hull Street um, down across the Chesterfield County long, line. That's wrong, and we have to fix that. Um, so those are the those are the four things.
and you're smack dab in the middle of a dual episode of Race Capital with Chelsea Higgs-Wise and Kat Mylan jackson and RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania with Francesca Lee Davis and Melissa Vaughn, heard on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Okay, thank you guys, everyone, for for responding to our equity question. My follow-up for anybody that wants to take it and just to talk about it very quickly and to tie in a segment that Race Capital does every episode, which is What's Your Privilege? Because the, fa- the 5th District is split between north of the river, south of the river, and... A great point was brought up um, within a secret group text that Fran and I have going on commenting <laughs> that North of the River has two grocery stores in it and the South of the River has none. And we've heard that you all live um, anywhere from Carytown to the South of the River. And I just want to hear what is your privilege and how will you explain that privilege to somebody that may live in Carytown when, when and if your focus, if you all agree in equity, would be more on the parts of the district that need those increased resources and better investment. Mr. Michael here, I'll start off with that. Uh, great question. I think just to answer the whole concept of privilege, um, I think for me is one that I'm, I'm a man. I think, you know, in our society, uh, even though I'm a black man uh, in Richmond, uh, I see a lot of my sisters that still go through a lot of inequities and in, just the way they navigate society on everyday life, uh, whether it's, you know, being paid less on their job, uh, to not having access to childcare, to, you know, the, the comments and the way men approach them, not only in person, but online. Um, another thing is that I'm a homeowner. Uh, I'm very blessed that, you know, I've been able to go to school and school doesn't always equal education, but your experience do as well. And so I'm able to own a home uh, and, and, and have a, a solid financial footing, but not all my neighbors do. Um, I'm concerned that a lot of my neighbors are going to get pushed out in the next few years if we don't address our housing situation. Um, I serve on Richmond 300, um, the Master Plan Commission, and the, some of the more heated conversations we've been having more lately is around grocery stores and how the business model around grocery stores, it's, it's kind of a catch-22 to a degree, but also the, the underlining concept that I hear or issue is that the developers do not want to invest in grocery stores in certain neighborhoods unless they meet a certain uh, population threshold or for density. But then in that case, a lot of them are subsidized at a larger level. And then on that case, they only want to invest if it only makes sense. But if it makes sense, they will still put a, if it makes financial sense, they'll still make a risk, even if a neighborhood has multiple grocery stores. Um, And it's just, it's just a conundrum we can't seem to figure out because it really just comes down to they just don't want their business there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said earlier we have to work with builders, right? As, and that's been building homes, building construction. So how would someone work with a builder and still say, hey, and, you know, a lot of my attention, my focus is going to the south side of my district that doesn't have this. So you're not just talking to builders, but also the constituents in the north side that may want your attention in something else. But the, the equity question is like, is how do you manage and balance that with your constituents as well? No, I think great question. It's one, understanding what are the needs of the community as a whole. So it is no grocery store. If you go across the the bridge from Shaco Bottom all the way down to uh, past George with there is no grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's just not all the fifth district like it borders the sixth as well uh, the eighth is in that area as well i think part of it is is one trying to figure out working with our builders but also our residents is that how do we find something that works maybe not might be a large-scale grocery store maybe it might be a smaller market that's on the bus line uh, that is more uh, accessible for different transit options i think we can make it work it's just the city hasn't had the will to actually try to get it done okay who else wants to kind of address the question of how you all explain equity to your constituents that are going to be approaching you all with very different concerns mm-hmm. um i guess i'll go ahead Stephanie. Go ahead. Uh, so um and i would piggyback on um what your michael was saying in that i think our solving our food desert south of the river and i am a south of the river resident um uh, and so i see the disparities um from north of the river to south of the river um, every day. Um, and we are in a food desert. We exist in a food desert because retail grocers actually use a, a formula to determine where they're going to build. And that formula is primarily based upon the average median income in a certain geographic area. So that's why we have, what, four grocery grocers in Carytown and none south of the river. Mm-hmm. Now, there's beautiful models for collaboration, such that has been done at the market at 25th yes. um, in, um, up in northern part of Church Hill. Um, and I would plan to leverage some relationships uh, that I have. Um, and there's a beautiful property. There's a space, uh, a, a great space to do that right on the corner of Sims and Cowardin. Um, and so uh, that's that would certainly be one of my priorities is to, to leverage some of those relationships, bring b- build that part- partnership, um, and do a a grocer similar to what was done at the market at 25th. I think that'd be fantastic for the residents of the uh, south of the river. Um, to answer your question about how to how to um, how to to balance all of the, and I mentioned this, our fifth district is the most dynamic and diverse, how to balance all of those competing um, priorities. For me, I took a oath um, with the National Association of Social Workers that, um, and as a social worker, that that our our guiding principles are to first serve the underserved Mm -hmm. and to be a voice um, for the voiceless. And so that is where my heart lies. And I think in educating and helping um, our community members who may have more to understand what it's like to have less and to ask folks to come to the table and engage um, early is a really critical um, component of that. Yeah. And, and what's your privilege? Well, I'm, I'm white. Um, <laughs> I am a homeowner. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have um, uh, to have a job where I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay my light bill next month. I can keep my cell phone going. Um, I have a number of privileges because of my socioeconomic status um, and the color of my skin, which my, um, my community members and communities of color do not. Um, but I've dedicated my life to 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 solving and and um, working with working with working through policy to change that. Thank you. Who anybody else want to take a stab? Pig- piggybacking off of my constituents, um, basically I've attended a uh, 300 meeting, mm-hmm. Richmond 300. Yes. And we were given excuses about zoning, hmm. and they were claiming that there was enough not enough population density, and I thought that that's that's that can't be. Mm-hmm. That, that can't be the reason. Um, the old Seagulls Market that sits, that would have been an, a wonderful place mm-hmm. to have a market. Um, buses go by there. Everybody has access to it. You have a lot of walking traffic. It would The Manchester area is close. The Uptown Southside area, mm-hmm. it's, it's convenient. It would be convenient for everyone. So these um, issues of um, uh, 
the way we ordinances and, and the way we district things, it shouldn't take so long. I'm taking told it was take 10 years or so to get those lines. Re I was like, there's no way we can move faster than that when we want to. And this is why our people need to speak up and we need to get our citizens more involved and engaged and more information out to them as to what's going on because there's power in pe with people and they need to realize that too many people in the city feel like they have no voice they feel like they have no investment because of the way they've been treated so this is why we have to get people more engaged and to get the word out to people to let them know what we're trying to fight for because I don't think a lot of people realize mm -hmm. that everyone in this room is fighting for, for these things for our community. Thanks for saying that. I think that was maybe the first time we've kind of heard a very intentional, like get out some information to people, right? And not so much what we in this room are all gonna do for everybody else, but also just making sure we're informing the people. What's your What's your privilege? Well, my privilege, I'm living in the house that my mom and dad have owned since 66. Mm. I'm a disabled veteran, so I have a salary, and it's not going to go anywhere unless the government decides to go nuts. Oh so, dear, honey, I'm <laughs> telling you, it's yeah. more and more so, likely. So I'm okay, you okay. know, and I have so much family that I'm not worried about living on the street and not having thing to eat. So, so a good old village model. Just to kind of give us a a little catch up. Um, I've actually been following a story in Richmond, developer story actually very closely. And um, Mike Hild actually owns uh, a former Seagulls Market. Yep. Mm -hmm. And since he's been uh, indicted mm -hmm. for bank fraud, those properties have now been uh, listed that will soon probably go up to auction mm -hmm. um, to replace uh, the money, the 140 million that was uh, fraudulently taken mm -hmm. um, from bonders. So uh, just to let you know, Seagulls Market will probably be up for auction pretty soon. I know, and I'm, uh -huh. a, I'm a constituent. <laughs> My mother used to work there yeah. back, in the, back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Thank you for bringing that up, Fran, because I'm a constituent in the 6th, and I know that's something I'm going to be asking my city council folks that are running next year mm -hmm. in the 6th about what and how they plan to make sure that doesn't happen again. And something i like for all my neighbors to really think about how we're going to hold the city accountable about what happens to those properties and not just pass those along to people that will continue to do the same thing yep. was the intentional piece that we can do and make sure that those properties come back. We have an opportunity to place them back in historic Richmond, historic Southside and Blackwell. So I just wanted to note that, but go ahead, Thad. You want to go? You want to answer next? Sure. Uh, um, so Thad Williamson. So yeah, I, I'm, I own the privilege. I'm white, male, heterosexual, got a stable job, a decent house. Um, although it's got some issues, a decent house mm -hmm. in, in Maplewood. And, you know, I think it's such a deep and, and important question and it's essential to, I think, leadership, both at the local level and just who we are, need to become as a country. Um, I'll go back again to, to City Hall. And I'll be honest, you know, being a majority white institutions literally my entire life and going to City Hall where the majority of directors and so forth are African-American professionals, highly competent, highly dedicated, highly skilled. And that's, that itself, just the environment is changing. Nobody says anything. It's it just you realize over time, this is just different. Mm -hmm. And they're getting more and more tuned in to the ways that have been blind to my own privilege in the day to day and, and, and realizing so often there was African-American women who knew what was going on in the room better than anyone else and more tuned to the dynamics and becoming more aware of everything they have to navigate on a day to day basis in our society. That was white guy in his 40s, a pretty life changing experience. And I'm extremely grateful for that. Um, Second component you want to raise is making sure, being intentional about 
those who are traditionally marginalized, excluded, left out the policy discussions, bringing the table, not just for show, oh, we got so-and-so in the room, but giving them power, giving them an institutional voice that's permanent, giving them the ability to, you know, throw down that hammer that I saw you have earlier, mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and, and raise some hard questions. And, and believe me, we had Duran, we had Lily, we had a number of people on that Citizens Advisory Board who were no joke and were extremely serious and, and held us all to task. And many of the things they said, I didn't want to hear. Mm. Both women were creating the office community wealth building after it started. Many things I did not want to hear. But almost always they were right mm. in the long term. And I listened and influenced what actually got done and influenced the policy directions we actually have. Last thing I was uh, just say is I think especially as, um, in our district, you know, I'm not afraid to jump out and be the white person or the whoever person to say, let's take a bold stand on something. You know, I got, well, it hasn't happened yet, but somebody's going to bust me for the fact I support the mayor's budget. Mm this past spring and made it an ask on privileged people as a for instance we mm-hmm. go on from that okay that i know that you are really championing the community wealth building and um speaking a lot about hearing community grassroots voices such as lily a estes um who just recently transitioned this year to become an ancestor of here in richmond and i know i've been in many rooms with her including this year especially when we're talking about eviction and and talking about um the schools pieces and transit and food and everything that the um community unity and action group that she worked very closely with before uh, she passed and what i heard is that she did not feel that that the system, that the administration, that community wealth building had heard what they had really said on the Poverty Commission. And so I'm asking you very specifically, can you name a win from the community wealth building that has impacted the city, Mm. the city's poverty, Mm -hmm. that you can stand by based on your work and that people can look into? Yeah, that's that's a, a fair question. And here's the thing is, the Office of Community Wealth Building doesn't belong to me, it doesn't belong didn't belong to Ms. Estes, it belonged to the whole community. Mm-hmm. And it's the community conversation. It's the important thing. And we talk about all the time in the office, you gotta live in the tension between the dissatisfaction we all have with conditions and the frustration you inevitably feel trying to do that kind of work about the fact you can't do it all. Mm-hmm. And even the things you wanna do, maybe you're not allowed to do. Maybe there's some kind of legal barrier. Maybe there's a policy barrier. Maybe there's a budget mm-hmm. barrier. But I, you know, I am proud, first of all, that we have an agency that's committed to reporting on progress every year. So if it's not making the progress, everybody can see it. We can begin to analyze it. In terms of concrete successes, they have leaned in hard on workforce because, and, and this is a big deal because many of the federal programs do screen out people with felonies and and things like that. This, from the very beginning, has been for everybody. You walk in, you're served, and they stick with you until you give up. And and to grow that from under 100 people back in 13 to, in this past year, over 900 served, 600 getting jobs, and thousands of thousands going through their programs, that is a big deal. But is it enough? No, but but it's a big deal just in that space. There's other spaces where... uh, you can point to specific programs have been started, early childhood, the RVA Future Centers, education, housing in general. But you know, I think there's been the most progress in workforce. I think the housing, you know, I give this administration like a C to C plus on how far we've gone mm. to create the affordable housing component. Because remember, it's the five components, the transportation, mm-hmm. there's housing, mm-hmm. there's workforce development, there's economic 
development and his education. Uh-huh. You know, I don't think there's anyone, no matter what you feel about the specifics, I haven't heard anyone really challenge that those are five key priority areas we have to make progress on right. all at the same time. So it's a long haul. We have to understand this is decades long work. It's not about a two or three year job. And we've got people telling us we got to move on. And I, I see y'all over there. Uh, just quick follow up. Where does um, black business ownership fall into those five categories? Uh, absolutely. I mean, economic development okay. and, and social enterprise development. And that's a major area that, that needs to be more work on. All right. We've got one. Yeah, yeah hoping to be able to tell everybody my privilege, right? Yes, I didn't forget. <laughs> everybody in Radio Lounge needs to know my privilege. <laughs> um, so, of course, this is my name's Graham, and certainly I've got a privilege for being white and being male. It is certainly not being gay. It is certainly not being a teacher. Um, and so th- that that would be my privilege. In terms of the grocery stores, um, the idea of a food desert got brought up. And certainly that exists, also exists in the East End. It depends on how you look at it. Some people would define that the East End does not have a food desert because there are places like the Market on 25th or Tobacco Row, or if you exit the city and go into Henrico, you could find food. Save a lot. Right. And so, but there's a real challenge there because some of those stores are stores that I can't even afford to shop at. And so when I think about the teach, the children that I teach, if I can't afford to, to shop there, they can't afford to shop there either. Mm-hmm. If you shop at a, uh, the Kroger, I shop at the Kroger, Carrytown, the one at Willow Lawn. If you shop there, um, the the my the children that I teach bag the groceries, bring the carts in, ring you up, mm. stock the shelves. I've got uh, sophomores, juniors, seniors. They work at both of those stores, and I'm sure if I were to go to other stores um, and do my grocery shopping, I would find them there as well. And that's kind of um, a struggle, right? That's something. It's 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 not something that I can escape. I go into a grocery store and I see a kid who stays back in the after school program with me to make sure that they get fed, also working on the weekends mm-hmm. at, at a grocery store. And that that's um, devastatingly ironic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know the second part of my question that some people have had a chance to, to touch on or not was how to explain your privilege to somebody that may be your neighbor in Carytown versus someone you know that is asking for the resources and equitable support in the South Side. And I know I heard you say, you know, being gay is not a privilege, but I would want to challenge you on that, right? That you right. D- and right. it's, okay. and it's yeah. slightly a double-edged sword, right? right? So me being gay means that no relationship that I've had, my marriage has not led to biological children. Mm-hmm. And so having children is a very concerted choice for, for a gay couple like myself and my husband, which means that when we talk about resources and wealth building, I've been able to do that where... Um, straight straight people might not have been able to do that if it mm-hmm. is the case that they ended up having children mm-hmm. um so right in the middle here we're going to welcome in a, a latecomer hi nick hi there thank you for having me on we'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself everyone else got a three-minute introduction just to tell us about uh, who you are and your kind of campaign spill so we'll let you do that right now go for it my name is nicholas da silva i'm running for the fifth district city council here in richmond virginia i am running because a year ago i saw marcus david peters uh, get killed by the richmond police and afterwards as i worked alongside the family of marcus david peters to push for change in the police training system and the police accountability system i watched as the mayor and city council's people and the chief of police pushed everything under the rug Uh, pretend like there was no issue and that there's nothing that could change and here we are a year later and nothing has changed. Um, It occurred to me when this happened that this was not a unique uh, approach to solving issues in city government. 
a lot of the harder questions about public transportation and uh, public housing and public schools go unaddressed. And so what we're doing is taking the uh, solutions that are being called for by community advocates and just community members and bringing them to the fore. That's why we've been out uh, knocking doors for the last few months. Uh, I was just out actually knocking earlier today and we're trying to get as many voices uh, that are not being heard uh, by city government to be heard with this campaign. Thanks, and you just uh, missed the portion where everyone quickly addressed their what's their privilege and uh, really kind of quickly maybe thread in your definition of equity with that. Absolutely. My definition of equity would be redistributing resources to communities that need it, uh, specifically black communities, uh, communities of color, um, impoverished communities, uh, basically my definition of politics uh, falls into who gets what resources, when and how, and that you know if we're going to create a more equitable, equitable world, we not just have to take the resources that are already in play and redistribute them, but we have to create a system that, from the bottom up, uh, distributes resources equitably, which I don't believe we have now. Okay, and what's your privilege? My privilege is I am a white man, I am uh, cisgendered, I am college educated, and I am lucky enough to have a car that works most of the time uh, that allows me to get to my job that pays me just above minimum wage. And so I am able to fortunately live uh, in a house with friends that I trust and that I can feel safe with. Um, I have never been threatened with evictions, uh, and I live a fairly stable lifestyle uh, with my four roommates that I live with. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. You have a, you want to add a comment? Yes, Jermichael here. Um, I just wanted to respond, um, Chelsea. You you made a note earlier about. Uh, the, the the property that may be going back on the market uh, uh -huh. due to the indictment of Mr. Hill. And that is something we don't have to wait till next year on. Right. Uh, we have a sitting councilwoman, um, uh, Ellen Robinson, who we should have a meeting with to discuss these uh, transactions. Mm -hmm. um, and the larger question is, is how did one developer get that much real estate in one section of the city hmm. in a short amount of time? Right. Hmm. So I, I I think we we still got options there. Like yeah. we got a school board member there. We got we got a, a delegate there. I love the way you think, Jermichael. So and this is a question that we have a little bit further down, but really quickly. So conversations like this, if you were elected, how would you hold your fellow council folks accountable mm -hmm. in these types of situations, especially coming in, I mean, new session elected. Mm -hmm. walking in there like who's this new kid on the block telling us what to do <laughs> right but no but seriously how are you all not just your count city council folks what about the administration what about the housing authority what about other um, departments within the city how can folks expect you to keep the city accountable Jermichael McCoy here so I'll, I'll jump into there it's one a part of this is what collaboration and relationships like we have and you know one we have a lot of great workers uh, and aides in in City Hall um, but even they see the issues that are going on within our system. And so how do one, in regards to housing, how do we bring our HHA and our housing advocates, but also our developers in a room to discuss with, along with residents, the issues that are facing our city? Like in regards to, for instance, just development as a whole, like the whole section of Sims and Kewarden, uh that we, you know, we talked about earlier is like, what kind of stations can be had to get a grocery store there? 
um, that is at the uh, a great intersection of a lot of transit routes. You have the Lee Bridge, you have Sims, um, you have Manchester, you have Jeff Davis, uh, a, a hub or a node, as we say in, in planning, uh, to get people there. Um, these are all the stakeholders that, that play a role in making all these decisions. And also, how do we make sure we're getting that information out to the community as a whole? I mean, one thing I definitely want to propose is doing uh, a housing summit for a lot of our residents, but also the community as a whole to make sure we're getting these resources out. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've been in the homes with many of our elders and they're having issues with their taxes. And an issue that has turned to them being delinquent in their taxes was just going to lead them to possibly having their their property on the auction block here in the city. We auction off a lot of properties here in the city of Richmond. How can we do this? How can we make it more equitable by making sure we have programs in place that maybe scale certain tax uh, programs for our elders? How do we make sure the elders are in the program? Mm-hmm. Like most of the, the tax link of properties that our elders home, they're not in the tax abatement programs. That is an information gap. Where are these people at? Are they are they at church on Sunday? If they're not at church, how do we make sure that somebody in that community to reach them? Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are some of those larger questions we got to answer and approach uh, with our stakeholders. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think it's also I mean, it's consensus building. It's listening. It's engaging with the folks in our administration um, to, to really find out why is this not working? Where 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 is where's the crack and identifying a solution? But sometimes it's it's about um, coming up with an action plan and just executing on it. Um, and and so, you know, I had heard that we had one of the lowest penetration rates for this tax relief program. Um, there, Benjamin Paul VCU was doing a lot of work around this. Uh, we got together, you know, we we created. Um, I got from him the eligibility uh, law on this um, program. This is the low income tax relief program for seniors. Um, I I leveraged a couple. Of, I, I pulled a couple of people together in the community. And said, who wants to help on this? We wound up creating a flyer. I used my voter uh, voter action network data because we have all the demographic data mm-hmm. and we're doing that right and I got somebody to pro bono print um, uh, the the flyer out and we're doing that for free the city's answer was we don't we're not we don't have enough resources to promote education on this um, and I think a lot of the times you know one one thread is just a thread a bunch of threads together creates a basket for it and so bringing people together, identifying a solution, and just doing it. Um, people don't often have time to wait for the city um, to, to, to get to action, but that's what people are judging us by, is what they see and what they feel. Um, and so I think it, it's about getting a little creative and um, going out there and just, just doing it um, in many instances. In regards to your question on holding, how are we wor- work with our city council members? You know, there's city council members that have made decisions that I wholeheartedly disagree with. Some of those decisions have led to some of my friends being evicted um, from their, uh, uh, from predatory landlord situations and me helping them in eviction court. Um, those decisions have an impact on people's lives. And as a consensus builder, it is super critical for me to use my skills and really work with our city council members and have those conversations up front. Right. Um, I'm fortunate to, to have great relationships with all of them, and I plan on continuing that once I get in. Robin Mines. Yes, we, like uh, Jermichael stated, we do have some good workers in, within our city and some good leaders. However, as uh, Stephanie mentioned, there are some council people sitting that have made some poor decisions in regards to our citizens. And that brings me back to our citizens being informed of what decisions these council people are making and why they make these decisions. Transparency, no more 
closed door sessions and things secretly going on and then coming out with a quick vote. We have to be transparent and we have to hold our leaders accountable and we have to hold our agencies accountable for the work that they're claiming that they're doing because it's not being done as reported. I I would say this is Graham. I would say that it's I come at this as a whole city kind of perspective. I don't necessarily look at my campaign as being about the fifth district. I see it more about being uh, for the entire city. And I think as long as you approach it like that, you can start to get buy-in from other city council people because you, I care about what happens in the sixth and the seventh district because I work over there. I care about what happens in the sixth district. Somebody mentioned Mr. Hild's um, uh, failed enterprises. I, you know, there are three teachers that live in the, the Butterbean complex. And so I'm, I'm worried about what's going to happen to them in this process. I've got children who work in all parts of the city. So I come at it as a whole city solution. So, you know, hopefully other council people would be worried about what happens in the fifth, just the same that I'm worried about what's happening in the entire city. I'll go. I mean, I, I mean, I need to say I'm the candidate who's actually moved ordinances and legislation through city council successfully in multiple administrations, in creating the agency, the Office of Community Wealth Building, and creating the Maggie L. Walker Assistance Advisory Board, creating any number of budget amendments to get things fixed, to get money to where it needed to go to do the program we were trying to do. Um, and then in the current administration, actually on a larger scale, as you know, I was part-time at the beginning with, with Stoney, and we tried to do something never been done before, at least not in the under the current mayor system, which is get council, school board, and the mayor degree on anything, actually, <laughs> you know, but, and, and, and do an education compact to at least have a formal conversation, a formal commitment to we're going to talk to one another about our shared needs. Everybody agrees schools, education is the main thing. Why are we having a fight every year? And that really has changed the tone dramatically between the schools and the mayor. And I, I saw both as night and day different. It really is a partnership dial. We got that passed. We had all kinds of community feedback um, and we incorporated it and ended up passing unanimously. So 
I have a relationship uh, of some kind with every council member. I've had been in some kind of meeting with them, done something cooperatively. Obviously, a little bit stronger with some than others just by the nature of the issues I was working on. And yeah, I know uh, the vast majority of the city directors. Um, I know the CAO. I, I know the mayor. and But I also know the frontline workers. And, and they know that I care. And they, they know that when I come, it's with integrity and because I care about the public interest, not because I'm playing a political game. And I think that's very, very important because relationships are critical to getting access to information and getting problem solved in City Hall. You have to be good at it. It's not optional. Stephanie, can I ask you one question about the um, the um, the uh, the thing for the taxes? It's really, really cool. And it's, I applaud you for doing that. Would you be willing to make that tool available to the rest of us sure. as we're going out? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You guys all have fan, I'm assuming, or you know, I the do. six different. Okay. <laughs> okay. What's Van? Even if you, you explain don't. that for the public. It just, Van is a um, voter database, and so you have access to dem- demographic data, so you know who's 60, who would potentially qualify because it has those who, individuals who are 65 and, and older. Yeah, so basically it, that stands for the Van, stands for the Voter Action Network. Network. It is a database. Depending on how you got access, you could have uh, state access or city access or larger than your state access, and it uh, captures data or demographics on voters, where they live, who they are, how often they vote, whether they vote in primary or general elections, how often they vote, if they, when they register to vote, if there are other people in their household that are not registered to vote, how many election cycles they may have missed. Some this is Fran showing off about her um, voter registration about my, about my, and restoration. My, my statewide being access. <laughs> you know. it for for um, restoration of voting <laughs> rights, which we are doing. Yes, yes. Like, yep. Yes. Um, it also covers uh, socioeconomic uh, classifications as well. It captures a lot of information. Different campaigns and different people use it to create walking maps, to see who's actually in their district, to see. I personally used it to pinpoint folks that were not registered to vote so I could knock on the right doors and not continue to knock on doors that didn't need my help, as well as restoration um, efforts, which I was super involved with for since I've been here. Just to clarify, I was asking Stephanie if we could get access to what she's created to make sure that seniors are accessing the tax relief to which they're entitled, but they're oh, not I enrolling. Because they, I applaud you for doing that, and I think it'd be great if we all went out there with what, what she's created, because we're all going to be hitting thousands of doors. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, so I think that's a great thing, um, Stephanie, if you're willing to share that, you know, and, and create some equity around the table. <laughs> sure. And I'm, I'm um, posting that on my um, website. And so the awesome. PDF file will be there. So any of you're, you're all free. Anybody's free. But get the word out. Yeah. Yeah. Good. There you go. So, yeah. So that's what a van um, is. And we're glad that people are using it to make great use of their time. We've got a couple people that haven't answered yet. If you want to answer, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Do you want to do you want to answer? Yeah, so when we're talking about working with other city council members and we're talking about accountability to issues and the solutions people want to see, what I always am struck by is there are there are issues that can be very easily resolved in city council, it seems, and there are issues like, not to come back to this too often, but the issue with Marcus David Peters and police accountability, when that happened and there were subsequently two huge marches in the city there were you know hundreds of residents demanding the same change there was ostensibly a movement occurring and that was shut out because there was not even a single kind of resolution proposed 
by a city council member. I think what we need to be doing is beyond just establishing, you know, our city council member is a representative who will fight on our behalf. Our city council representative needs to be someone who is channeling the people's voice. And I think that what that means is I personally think we need to be establishing uh, ways of people having their voices heard straight on up. And so we need to be going, you know, regularly having meetings in the community that are not just updates on what is happening in the community, but saying, these are the issues I've identified. What are the issues you're seeing? And what do you propose the solutions to be? And then having that information be uh, freely shared so that then the people who are experiencing these issues in real time are having those voices carry straight on up. And so I think that that is maybe a bit nebulous of an answer, but to kind of solidify it for you, when you are explicitly saying your voice needs to be heard on council and your voice will be heard on council, you are then uh, avoiding the issue of am I, uh, am I holding another person accountable? Am I holding myself accountable? You are instead just having that solution be heard. And so if you propose it, then it can be voted on. And so I think that, you know, yeah, I, I think that may seem like a bit of a radical concept, but we what we really need to be doing is avoiding these arguments that are more between people and be talking more about the issues specifically. Jermichael here, my constituent has the word of the day with Nebulous, um, well-spoken. Um, another issue we have in our city is on the books. Um, I know uh, uh, what the past administration kind of carrying over to the new administration is making sure everybody is viewing the same numbers. Um, city council has one numbers that the administration has given it. Uh, then city council gets mad at school board when they have certain surpluses at the end of the year. All the numbers aren't adding up in real time because the city has different accounting uh practices to where one month or one city office may have a certain projection and then when council gets it they were saying the school board hey well you all have this much money allocated and then after the budget is passed we have surpluses um i think that is another area we definitely need to figure out as a as a council potentially if i'm elected uh to address to make sure our accounting practices are up to date let's move along then while we're addressing this and we're talking about equity and we're talking about privilege and we're talking about providing resources for different places in our district. Please identify your most critical concerns for schools in the district and how you plan to address those concerns. And you guys have various schools in, in the district. We've already kind of touched on George With. It's fine if we bring it back up again, but let's go around and uh, address those things. So go for it. Stab at it. Who'd like to go first? Go ahead, Thad. Um I think it's a good question. I think it's important to understand that the 5th District actually encompasses 15 schools between the 8th and the district and the 7th are zone, the district. So Armstrong is a 5th District school. People may not realize, but it is. And according to the rezoning plan, it could be a bigger swath of the 5th District, especially if there's a delay in building George With. Mm. So I really think you have to focus on the system issue. But there's definitely, though, big differences. And so Swansbury Elementary, we have to get our whole community arms around that. And that would be, you know, in terms of equity conversation, reaching out and finding those who have resources externally who can help with engagement, who can help bring extra things and figure out what's going on there. Because, uh, you know, that's a, a school close to the bottom where we are as a system. I, I think the to go back to George, both the building conditions, but also issues around uh, Latino population and inclusion and what's going on with uh, the way RPS treats people who come here from Latin America, you know, often they're English, sometimes it's no school. 
whether they're 15 or 16 years old and how, how we're handling that situation. A lot of inadequacies from, from everything I've, I've heard and seen. But, but I think, you know, those connecting points is super important uh, uh, between early childhood to kindergarten, make sure everybody's enrolled in the pre-K to eligible, and then doing what the RPS strategic plan calls for, which is starting next year, putting three-year-olds you know, extra pre-K for three-year-olds. And that's a $4 million bite. And they're talking about adding it on every year. But I think that will make a huge difference. And then looking at the connection points between elementary and middle school and between middle and high school, because we're losing kids. It's dropping off more and more every year, both in terms of achievement, but also literally dropout rates as you get into high school. So I think you have to think about it in systemic terms, but I want to pay special attention to Swansboro and George Wythe, because I think that's where the most urgent needs are right now. Robin Mines. Uh, mm-hmm. Um Basically, we all know that we need new structures. We need new schools. We have overcrowding. And in addition to not just throwing money at our schools, but we need some additional programs because we're finding that a lot of kids are entering school, the school building with PTSD issues. They're hungry. They come from horrible conditions where they live, all kinds of violence around them. And so as a child, you're not going to walk into a school building ready to get down and get your lesson done. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for our kids to achieve. Thus, that contributes to low accreditation Mm -hmm. because we can't get the scores up. Okay. Um, In addition to that, there's nothing we can do locally, but the SOL system has to be reviewed and and something has to be done with it. Mm -hmm. We've known for decades that all children do not learn the same way or fit in the same mold. So why will we even honor legislation that comes down and claims it's leaving no child behind when it's leaving too many behind? Mm. Okay. And and I want to clarify that Robin uh, minds when she said violence in their community, she had air quotes just so Radio Land couldn't see that. But I did appreciate the air quotes around that. Yes. Okay. And um, so our children need uh, some type of program where there's some psychological training experts within the school, uh, mentors, our clergy can be involved. Um, retired teachers or administrators who wish to contribute can be there so that we can listen to these children and and help let them know that we see them and let them be able to come to us with their issues and maybe we can help that family with some resources and connection and connecting those things are also the community schools that we're looking forward to in the future that will help engage parents and also provide education for parents because we have a lot of parents who are dropouts Okay, they have no clue about what they're doing, no clue about local government resources, and some of them want to do better. Mm -hmm. But if they don't have the resources or the information available to them, then they're just sitting in that struggle. Yeah, got to know better to do better. Yes. Jermichael here. Um, I think it's when we when we're talking about our young people, which we have some amazing young people here in this city. Um, Through my work with the Urban League Greater Richmond Young Professionals, we have hosted uh, STEM programs for our young people, getting them engaged. Uh, We donated over five thousand dollars last year to students to attend uh, higher education. Um, We have young people who are thriving in spite of the system. Um, Young people that I was once was. Um, But you have to have a system that supports these young folks. Um, I think for me is that one, making sure we're investing in our school infrastructure is one thing. But even from that aspect of it, how are we making sure is that, you know, from an equitability lens, um, is that one, we're coming up with plans to make sure that as we update our infrastructure, that we're still supporting students in that transition. Um, But also, how are we supporting our young people outside the classroom through summer job opportunities, uh, through pathways for trade and other technical skills, which are in demand? Uh, We are in a housing boom here in our city. How do we make sure that more Richmonders are part of that? And our young people are that too. Um, We have to look at our young people here in the city as our children. Um, Whether they attend George Whistler Swansboro, 
which is my neighborhood school, is that we're making sure that, hey, any kid that we see walking around is our kid in the state of Richmond and making sure they're supported uh, through policy, uh, but also appropriations uh, through council. Thank you for that. Go ahead, next. Nicholas De Silva here. So what I want to talk about is obviously there are a wide range of issues as we have addressed between the different schools. There are some that are overarching of underfunding, understaffing, uh, a lack of incentives to continually be attracting more teachers. But what we need to do is, and this is something I've identified as I've been talking to more people and finding out the specific uh, neighborhoods, what they're dealing with in schools, is we need to look at leaders in the community, people who are volunteering at schools, people who are stepping up to get kids to the, the bus in the morning, who is watching kids, and we need to promote them up through the government. We need to be creating structures that allow them to have those voices heard on the school board and on city council, because, and this is comes from my background in community organizing, if you identify leaders in the community who are already naturally doing this, you are finding the people who are kind of the glue of the community. And so once you identify people like that, and those are parents, those are teachers, grandparents, aunts, uncles, you can start to identify specific issues that I would say even general assessments probably wouldn't be able to identify. And I, But I think it does, in the end, come back down to a lack of funding. Uh, I think that we need to be addressing the fact that there are massive development projects like the Coliseum project that are being proposed that will be taking money away from schools in under the guise of promoting money for schools. And so I think that first and foremost, we need to be ensuring that that money goes to schools. I think that we need to be ensuring that you know we are uh, providing other revenues uh, through uh, working with the General Assembly. We can enact pro progressive taxation in certain areas. We need to be taxing our corporations and the developers that are benefiting so much from the capital and the labor of Richmonders and take that to benefit ourselves. Okay, thank you. So in healthcare policy, we have, uh, it's a, it's a well-known study, it's a well-known fact that 68% um, of your health outcome is determined by your social determinants. So your socioeconomic status, housing, food security. We need to figure out, we need to understand, and we need to acknowledge too, that uh, social determinants, we need to figure out the social determinants of education and address those. And one way to do that, and, and Robin um, touched on it, um, one way to do that is through trauma-informed care models, is through creating access to mental health, to social workers, to social supports, and meeting people and families, students and families and teachers where they are in the school. Um, several years ago, I started uh, uh, a school or helped raise $120,000 to start a school-based health center. Um, originally had tried to plant that seed in Richmond and the ground was not fertile for, for planting at that time. Um, and so we went down to Petersburg and um, we we're, were implementing the, the first trauma-informed uh, school-based health center in Petersburg. And this is a model that's been around for 20 years, Interesting. has demonstrative outcomes, and I cannot wait to help uh, move that forward here in Richmond. Um, the other, I, I think, you know, another component to that um, is that, I, or another another thing I have to acknowledge is, we don't have, we sitting around this table, we don't have the answers. I've talked to so many teachers that will tell you, and thank you, Graham, um, <laughs> teachers know, teachers know, 
what the answers are. Teachers have uh, teachers are working in, day in and day out, Ex but but decisions are being made for them that impact their work and their students without ha them having really uh, any input. Um, and that's a problem. Um, and they have, I've, I've heard a, a multitude of different solutions and ideas coming from teachers that I think, wow, if we get, if we have a real empowered teacher advisory committee that helps address some of these holistic problems in the school and just our day-to-day -day problems in the school, I think that we would have some great results from listening to them and having an empowered committee of that, of that nature. Shout out to my mom. She's a teacher too. Yep. Wonderful. Um, this is Graham. Yeah, trauma-informed care is um, something that we hear about quite a bit. And Richmond Public Schools has, has played around with it. It's, it's attempted to implement it, but in ways that's like a packaged professional development for teachers, which mm. and after an eight-hour day is not what you want to sit through for 90 minutes, and we're going to call it trauma-informed care, and you walk out of it feeling traumatized yourself. Mm. So it really does have to be um, implemented in a way that is effective. Um, in terms of what we could do for schools, certainly facilities. It's the reason why I got into the into this um, election race. Uh, mayor's office during his campaign promised to rebuild Armstrong High School, which was built in 1967. Um, he found himself a little bit on the back foot and said that George With needed to be rebuilt. And I think that that's true. I think if you were to take a look or a tour George With High School or Armstrong High School, you would definitely come to the conclusion that of the two, George With needs to be rebuilt first. Unfortunately neither are being rebuilt. Um, the meals tax increase that was um, over the past year was to allow for funding for that. And we were told that if we implemented that tax, we would get five schools. And immediately, as soon, almost as soon as it was implemented, we said we were gonna get four schools. And about a few months later, we said, no, we're gonna get three schools. So we're not spending the money in an efficient way. Um, or we've been, or we're over, or as a society, we're over-promising what we can deliver on. Mm -hmm. um, the next thing that I would say, I'm project facilitator for the after-school program at Armstrong. It's a 21st Century Community Learning Center grant. The site director is uh, the art teacher in the building. His name is Christian Koshak. He's a wonderful guy. And up until this year, John Marshall High School also had one of these 21st Century grants. 21st Century grants are held by Peter Paul Development Center, and there's some sites out of Chimborazo and Bellevue Elementary. There are... Uh, the YMCA and the Boys and Girls Clubs also hold these grants. Uh, Armstrong is a recipient of about $500,000 over the course of three years in terms of federal funds. And this is something that needs to be implemented citywide to all schools. And I think that would be great. Okay. Thank you for that. I would like to say something that ties into another point I was going to talk about later, but I think it's maybe more appropriate here. I think uh, we saw earlier this year that there was a confirmed uh, white supremacist school resource officer, a police officer who was in a uh, school around here. And I think that we need to be addressing the fact that over the last few decades, we have been putting more and more school resource officers into schools. And that has done nothing to reduce the amount of school shootings or those uh, incidents that have been happening. But instead, what we have been seeing is a repeated and kind of increased school to prison pipeline through the criminalization of children, uh, specifically black and brown children, especially around here. But it has done essentially nothing to actually solve the issue it was supposed to solve. And so I think we need to be phasing that out in the favor of especially mental, res mental health resources and counselors who can actually help kids who are in need. Thank you. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, I mean, as a parent at Opera Hill, I get what Nick is talking about because of the incident that happened there 
in the spring, and I think the deeply inadequate response. So I endorse what you just said. And I, I just want to say, I've worked in all the schools at every level, you know, programmatically as a member of the school's education foundation and, and getting the future centers started in every high school, which is helping students apply for and get into college. But I think as we get in the school conversation, and I learned this from the education compact discussion, as city council members, we have to know what our lane is. I love the idea of teacher empowerment. I'm not going to tell a school board how to set up their shop. Mm-hmm. And that's just something, you know, whatever, how good the idea is, you have to figure out as a city council member, how can you articulate in a way that's going to be effective while staying within our lane? Because those relationships are, are super sensitive. Okay. And Jermichael here, An- another aspect when we're talking about our approach, especially within our public schools, is making sure we're engaging our parents as well. Um, we all have a role to make sure our community is growing. Um, I talk to a, l- a lot of teachers and resource officers, but also community members. How are we making sure our, our parents are actively engaged in our schools, but also making sure they have pathways to be engaged? Uh, one of the the many privileges that we discussed earlier is what, like me being a homeowner, mm-hmm. um, being, being an educated young black man in this society, but also that I understand the importance of of collective gathering to uh, reach a common purpose or a goal. Um, my mother wasn't in the PTA when I was a kid, but she always made sure she was at our parent-teacher conferences. Mm-hmm. How are we making sure we're having more parents involved in that discussion of their kids' advancement, especially uh, not only our black, but our Latinx community as well? Mm-hmm. I appreciate that uh, point being brought up because my question of schools, anyone else got it? I was like, man, I really wanted to hear about the school to prison pipeline. pipeline yep. We were over and here texting about it. I know. I know. There's the candidates are sitting around like, oh, I wanted to, to speak on that. Um, but it is it is about like what comes to the front of your mind when one word topic, education, policy, transportation, policing, transparency, all of this, like what comes to the front of your mind? what comes out first and what is your focus and priority and it's a good segue into the next conversation of transparency and particularly with policing yes so uh, let's talk about some of the uh, disparities in the data that were reported um, from the police and the richmond transparency accountability project everybody familiar with that Okay, great. Would you be in favor of the city having a civilian oversight board with the Richmond Police Department and the mayor's office um, and also to include the Commonwealth Attorney's office as well? And so everyone knows this is something that um, many of the organizers have been asking for is a a citizen review board that Mm -hmm. would... Uh, comment as well as they are seeking certain veto and override powers um, when it comes to um, certain implementations of trainings as well as even prosecuting police um, when there have been harmful behaviors uh, that have impacted our community and our constituents. So the question really is just about what is your reaction to the disparities in the data of police intervention here in the city and do you support the idea of a civilian review board? So Nicholas De Silva here. I wanted to speak on this because it is a primary part of our platform. Uh, we have explicitly, when we've been at doors and talking to people about our policy issues, have been asking and saying we want to implement a civilian oversight board. Uh, we also, I mean, this is something that came out of the work with the Justice and Reformation Coalition and the demands of RTAP and other community advocates we don't have 
I, and I don't even want to say we don't have a comprehensive accountability process in Richmond because we don't have an accountability process period for police officers because you see repeated incidents of violence, of a police killing, of a police officer harassing middle school students that happened in this last year. And at no point was that, that and specifically in that last incident, the police officer wasn't even uh, asked to give an apology, uh, and he rescinded that apology. <laughs> so we need to create those genuine, like, obviously they have to be driven from the community demands, but the community is demanding those policies to be put in place. And so we need those agents of the state to be accountable to people mm -hmm. and right now that is not happening so i absolutely do support the oversight board and some of those policies that need to be put in place because otherwise i feel like especially and this is something where i was talking to uh someone over by where marquia dixon was shot and they over there found a bullet lodged in their sidewalk and mm. they had to convince the police to come and pick that up as evidence. Wow. And so there is a fundamental lack of trust for the police department in a lot of the communities I've been talking to. And so I would absolutely support that. Thank you. Robin, my, um, as he stated, trust is the he biggest issue in our community with the police department. And I believe this oversight commission will help to uh, bridge that gap and to get uh, citizens more involved in help working with the police department and it will help build that trust if they have civilians who are as you say overseeing policy training and whatnot mm -hmm. and also the data that's being put out the fifth district is unique in that we have four precincts mm -hmm. there are four precincts for our district and um so it's it's really difficult so the police departments have to communicate um i don't know if our citizens are aware of it but we do not have enough police officers mm. in our city um there's only a, a few officers per shift mm. and as you know when there's a homicide you look at the news and it looks like the whole department <laughs> is present at that scene mm -hmm. and i'm thinking well my goodness what's happened to the rest of the city you know mm -hmm. we also have our, our speeders and our trap reckless drivers well uh, electronic ticketing is something that could be proposed as an experiment to use so that police officers are not having to sit around and watch speeders. They can be doing other jobs in, in the area as well. Mm. So, yes, this commission is very needed. Jermichael McCoy here. Uh, I think as we approach law enforcement, I think, you know, continue with the theme for me today is like, what is our approach? Um, so we spend tens of millions of dollars on law enforcement every year, but yet we don't want a lot of communities feel over-policed um, in certain areas. Um, how do we make sure our communities are safe without making sure that we're not profiled when we go to the corner store um, or when we're driving around in our neighborhoods? I think I support the, uh, the concept of a citizen's review board, but also we have to make sure if we're going to move forward with this is that we have some enforcement uh, policies of force of that because it could just be another part of bureaucracy of City Hall just to create commissions that doesn't have any input or any change the issues really are at hand um, and so those are just my thoughts on it but also when it comes to the law enforcement as a whole is making sure our department has the seniority and staff that it needs and making sure they have great relationships with the community um, some of the issues I've had with uh, members of law enforcement especially in regards to uh, the death of to Marquia Dixon um, this summer was that it's the the role of detectives or senior level detectives within the police department are retiring 
that is relationship capital in those communities. People don't feel don't trust the police because they don't know them. Um, they don't have an active engagement uh, policy with certain communities in our city. And so how do we make sure that, one, if we're spending all this money on law enforcement, is that they're being effective in building relationships and trust within the community so we can actually solve some of these homicides? Uh, her death is not the only unsolved murder here in the city of Richmond. We have a backlog of unsolved murders, mm. but that comes through relationships with law enforcement in the community. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you. So do you, I'm sorry, do you support the community the citizen review board yes okay, I, I support the citizens review board but in the creation of it, we got to make sure they have enforcement power i love that yeah cool smack dab in the middle of a dual episode of Race Capital with Chelsea Higgs-Wise and Kat Mylan jackson and RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania with Francesca Lee Davis and Melissa Vaughn heard on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. So, um, Two former graduates are just killed um, this past month and month in August. Um, Aaron Moody and Javante Magram, um, both both boys on Raven Street. And so, the the idea of the Civilian Oversight Board for me is I have no reason to oppose it, though I'm not very well versed in it. But it seems reactive. How do how is it that we can be proactive so that we don't land ourselves in these kinds of situations where we have to review what had happened? Um, one event that I attended back in July, uh, RRHA and Richmond Police Department got together to do a community walk in Creighton, and I just happened to read it in the news earlier in the day, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to show up to that, and I showed up to it, and it was a middle school dance. I mean, mm. the police officers were on one side of the street, the community members and the children were on the other side of the street, and it had to take me to say, hey, do you want to meet some of these children that are over here, because mm. they're outside, and so really it was a matter of just uh, taking that extra step and inviting teachers to this thing, because we're we're the people who know the children the best um, in terms of government employees, um, and so I, that's definitely something that I would want to see continue is the the, the idea of the police uh, building those pertinent relationships with uh, community members. And while I might not know all the parents, I definitely know all the children. Dad, mm. so just to um, connect the dots, I mean, obviously, as has been said, trust the police is critical, but but it's also critical to you know clearing the homicide rate, and that, which is critically important to safety. It just demonstrates if you're solving more crimes, there's going to be less crimes, and that's been basically proven across cities. So anything we do to build trust, I think, is, is critically important. So yeah, I support the um, Civilian Review Board, but what I would add, not as a negative note, but just as a cautionary note, first of all, I don't think that has five votes on this council, even with whoever else gets elected. Mm. The second, being prepared to have long hard conversations with the actual police because their perspective is going to be different and part of their perspective is going to be 20 years ago we were having 150 people killed a year now it's more like 50 and and they're going to point to a whole bunch of things that they do well that they do engage the community and we have made progress as a community 
So when we talk about listening, that has to be the hard part of this. I'm for it because I think it will help enhance uh, the ability of, of the, the police chief to actually do what they want to do, which is to people who have you know, racial bias to get them up and out of the system and, and, to, and to respond correctly. But I also agree with what Graham said too. Uh, we have to look farther up the pipeline about reducing crime in a deeper way. And that means systemic issues. I think the Commonwealth's attorney's report that Aman Shabazz put out there in the spring is very, very important and definitely on the right track about getting engaged on the front of the community to reduce crime in a systemic way. Because the current just sort of containment policy, as they call it, has reached its limit. Um, so I come at it from a slightly different perspective. The answer directly to your question is absolutely yes. The reason why that report was so damning and why we need to have a sunlight on that issue is because of the consequences that happen afterward. Because of the disparities that we create when we lock up, when one in every two African-American males in Richmond before the age of 25 sees a courtroom, it breaks apart black families, black communities, and it ticks the clock of poverty. Our criminal justice system is our modern day form of slavery. Mm. And until we address that and the consequences that happen as a result of disparities in our law enforcement system, primarily that RTAP very uh, uh, very accurately pointed out in that um, there is implicit bias in what is reported and what happens afterwards in a courtroom. Um, until we address that, we are not going to solve some of the most fundamental and racially charged issues that cause the, all the disparities that we're talking about in every system from health to school to employment. Um, so I would say yes, and I would take that a step further, and I have uh, uh, been a strong advocate for trauma-informed um, care dockets, mm -hmm. trauma-informed dockets, and mental health dockets, mm. and addiction recovery treatment uh, dockets. And so what that means, and I'm sorry I, didn't me I did not mention when, we, when I was talking about trauma-informed models in schools as, uh, as a antidote to breaking up the prison, uh, the school-to-prison pipeline, but it absolutely is. Mm -hmm. um, and so are trauma-informed dockets. And what those special dockets mean is that if you are, sit, particularly in the area of uh, uh, trauma-informed dockets, if you have been involved in the system, so if you were foster care or DJJ, mm -hmm. Department of Juvenile Justice, mm -hmm. prior to entering into that um, uh, courtroom, you will be placed and routed into support services and not penalized and thrown into incarceration, which, mm -hmm. which leads to a series of negative outcomes for both that individual and the family and the community writ large. She's, she's talking social worker to me now. <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. I just really wanted, really quickly wanted to talk about the other police department in the city or one of the other police departments in the city. Because we, last time I was on the show, it was the episode where we were talking about the RTAP report and I was talking about the VCU police department. Absolutely. And I wanted to address that because they are, as I have watched over the last three years, I've spent an immense amount of time uh, looking at their behavior and the statistics they put out. And they are overwhelmingly enforcing uh, or they are criminalizing people uh, from Richmond. They are kind of creating this barrier around VCU. That means when people of color specifically come onto campus, they are considered foreign uh, actors. They are considered mm. people who are not welcome. And I did do the air quotes just now. Mm -hmm. 
because of the color of their skin and how they're viewed by this unaccountable body. Now they have uh, guns and they have arresting power. They have everything a regular police officer has, but they are not in many ways directly accountable to the city. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to see that uh, explored as well, especially with the recent jurisdiction expansion, which gave them wide sweeping jurisdiction across the city, essentially setting them up to be a secondary police force specifically for VCU. Mm. Okay. Well, that's a great segue into this next question because VCU is such a big part of this project, it right? It is. It is. So, you know, at previous forums, which I've attended them all, or one of us has, um, you all were asked um, to give an imaginary vote on the Navy Hill project as presented to council. So that would mean as it's been presented now, because we understand that. Um, it's now council's job. Um, the commission is uh, being put together now, which will give citizen review, but the council now has the opportunity to negotiate and so on and so forth. So we don't expect you to do that, but, but you may if you're elected. <laughs> Given what's been proposed right now, you were asked to give a imaginary vote. Uh, several of you answered no due to a lack of information. Um, as of today, city council persons and really any interested uh, constituent has had access to FOIA obtained documents um, on the project as well as a submitted proposal plan and corresponding reports in access of 900 pages to review. Okay. Um, I personally am on my third pass through the documents myself. If elected, you will absolutely be expected to vote knowledgeably on this project and contribute to negotiations if any are made through this process. Who has read the proposed plan in its entirety? Yes or no? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yes or no? Let's go down. Not a single page of it. <laughs> okay. No. I read about 200 pages. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I've skimmed the whole document and I've read it in depth on certain pieces. Okay. I'm only about halfway through. Okay. From Michael here, I've not finished the document. Okay. Um, uh, so, you know, we've got that. Um, if you have not, how do you plan to counter such a disadvantage before election day? Because <laughs> election day, you're on, you're on the, you're on the hook. Um, if you have read it, and assuming we'll just go with based on what you've said, um, you know, with what you've covered, what would be your vote today, comma? <laughs> okay. What would you like to see added, improved, taken away, or changed in the deal? This is going to be a part of, and you may not have complete answers, of course, because some of you said, I haven't read it, or I don't, you know, I'm not finished, so on and so forth. And if asked to take a private meeting with administration slash developer, like current council members have been doing, would you take the meeting? Go. Michael McCoy here uh, once again. So as previously stated at the Richmond Crusade for Voters uh, Forum, I support economic development within the city. Um, our city has grown for the first time in 50 years, and I'm ensuring that I want to ensure that everybody has a chance to grow with it, mm -hmm. that we are making sound economic decisions with the future of our city, that Richmonders are playing a role in it, that our minority contractors are getting a piece of the action to actually build uh, this project, that we are creating pathways for affordable housing, but also opportunities for Richmonders to partake in the prosperity of building this proposal. As it is currently presented, I do not support it. Um, measures that I want to see added to it is one, of course, uh, paid job training for a lot of the workers in the construction aspect of this project. Um, that is something that, that is a uh, aspect of this deal that has not been very transparent. Um, uh, but also no plan has been presented on how are they going to actually uh, create a pipeline to hire the amount of workers in a necessary time to actually build the project. My concerns is that a lot of this work is going to get outsourced um, by surrounding workers and 
the people that we want to, to work on this project, the the 26% of our city that lives in poverty, how are they being implemented in this deal? And I haven't seen that yet. Mm -hmm. um, also is, I do support our city being a, a draw for entertainment, but also conferences and other venues here in our city. But how do we make sure that as we are building this, that is done from an equitable lens, uh, but that we're also supporting a plan that is gonna you know, work itself out, especially about how we're gonna issue out these bond ratings, uh, the city's role in actually making sure uh, they are issued, but also that it's not taken too too much money away from our general fund. Thank, Thank you. you. I, as I've stated before, absolutely do not support this project. Although I have not gotten through every single page of the uh, original project proposal, I've been reviewing the working parts meticulously with uh, some of the advocates who have been trying to inform people about the project in the city. Mm -hmm. My primary concern uh, with this project is the funding. Uh, when you look at how TIF districts have been used, and I know there's been some discussion recently, especially at the last fifth district meeting, that this funding model might not be the one they're using. They might be changing it to a different one. It has not been really made clear to the public, I don't think. Uh, but with TIF district funding, you look at Chicago right now, and you look at how that has been used. And by far, it has only really enriched private individuals and developers uh, more than it is really even tried to help uh, reimburse city funds or bring that money back into the city. And so if we were to get to a yes, I would like to see that taken out entirely. I'd like to see a comprehensive public uh, input process for this, which I don't think has really even started. And I would like to see transparency, and I would like to say I would not take a private meeting with the developers or with the administration on this issue. I would like to see that our, our leaders and the, uh, the rich people of this city who are pushing this, Michael Rao, the developers and the administration, actually transparently say why they support this project so we can get to that end. Thank you. Okay, Stephanie, quickly. Thank you very much. Um, so I have, uh, I would say, have done a thorough review over certain parts of this deal and have read, not read every single page, but um, I think done a pretty, pretty good job at getting through um, the document and the deal and asking questions with the right folks and, and trying to get as much information that uh, as I can from both sides. Yeah. Um, with that, I have become frustrated that there isn't a simple document that is digestible for the pub public to understand. So I created a 10-point um, uh, one-pager and then have done a survey that has, within the same uh, survey, I have the 10-point uh, one-pager, the questions that I have on the deal, many of which uh, my colleagues have stated, and I've got a couple more to add to that, mm -hmm. and then a survey that I am trying to get out to every uh, fifth district constituent so that we can have some input and feedback. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's absolutely critical, which is why, uh, because I don't predict this is the first time that we're gonna have a project of this magnitude that has an impact on the community. I think the system, I mean, the city needs to prepare itself to have a commission that creates a venue for community engagement up front, mm -hmm. which is why I've proposed a community development and engagement um, commission so that this does not happen again. Thank you. That. Dad? Can you restate the question and make sure I didn't miss any pieces? Sure. So what's your imaginary vote uh, today as it on the proposed plan? Um, and if you could um, or if you have any suggestions, what would you have added, improved, taken away, changed? And would you take a private meeting 
um, with administration or developer as current members, council members have done. Yeah. So, so back in July, I, I put out, you know, the five criteria I'm going to apply, which have to do with jobs, similar to what Mr. McCoy has said about making sure it's really the city residents, getting jobs, affordable housing, transparency to the taxpayer, the minority contracting, making sure that's actually solid. Mm -hmm. And then there has to be public buy-in and clearly that is lacking. And so I think it's questionable whether it meets any of the criteria <clears throat> in a current form. But there's a sixth thing that, that as I've been thinking about it and, and think about the magnitude of the opportunity, and it's a big deal when people show up and say, we've got a billion dollars, we want to invest in your city at 26 poverty rate. That's, that's, that's why I'm not, with all due respect to Nick, I'm not a, an immediate no, although I, I totally respect his position. Mm -hmm. I think you have to have the conversation to be responsible to the hundreds of workers who come in the community well-building office and are struggling for anything, to the people I know for whom even if it's a $12 an hour job, that's a super big deal in stabilizing your, your, your life. I think we have to honor our responsibility to deal with the depth of the poverty we have by having the conversation with somebody who wants to put that much money on the table to invest in an area that's not earning any tax revenue. So that's why I'm a maybe. And when I say maybe, I mean maybe. I don't say no and then actually say maybe. I got you. you know, so, so um, you know, in terms of specifics, I, I want to look at who's going to actually own wealth at the end of this. In terms of restaurants, businesses, other, other opportunities that are created by this. You know, in terms of a private meeting, yeah, I would take the meeting because I want as much information as possible from all sides. Okay. And you wouldn't have a, a transparent meeting but you would take you and there wouldn't be an option to say i would take this meeting trans like openly and recorded because that's that's really the question right now oh, okay it's like, yeah, yeah yeah i mean no i i, I think uh, uh or or yeah i mean i don't i i just wanted to make sure we're clear just so people listening that's why a lot of the people are saying no right now they don't want to be on record with any more private meetings so i just want to be clear okay. you would be okay with going on record with private meetings at this point yeah, I, I don't think there's any meeting I would go into. Well, never gonna say never, but but True. you know, I, I, mm -hmm. any meeting I would have with them, I have no problem with anybody recording what was said. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. That's my um, basically, um, as Thad stated, a yes or no vote is not appropriate at this time because of the lack of information and the lack of information to the public. Um, I um, keep hearing about job opportunities, but what kind of jobs? Will this development bring? Will it, be, mm -hmm. will it be more than hospitality jobs and food service? Um, because we have plenty of that right now. Mm -hmm. um, as the convention center idea uh, that uh, Jermichael was speaking of, we need that because that's what, how companies are going to come here and and, pres and and realize what Richmond has to offer. And hopefully other businesses, high tech companies and so forth will will decide to come to Richmond. So that's why we need a job training force mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. other than those two flip burgers. And not that there's anything wrong with that, yeah. but that should not be the ultimate goal for our children coming out of school. Okay. And so um, I do support development because we do need economic development, but how is that gonna translate to equity in our poor communities? Right. Uh, Graham? Yeah, this is Graham. Um, I'm a solid no on this. Uh, you know, you never hear about 18 months worth of secret meetings and they come out and they say, we've figured out a way to fix the schools. It's always something else. <laughs> um, 900 pages. I mean, I, 
when I was in high school and in graduate school, I can remember saying, if I just make this long enough, hopefully nobody reads it, right? <laughs> um, and so the idea- Well, they failed because right, I read it. Right, there you go, three <laughs> times, right? So, um, but also another thing that I learned in graduate school is when you realize that something's insignificant, you stop analyzing it. And so for me, I have a worldview that we can do what we need and we can do what we want. This falls into the wants category for me. And until we do what we need, which should be trash service, if you're paying for trash service, that you get garbage cans delivered, that there's leaf collection that's pretty regular that happens, that our potholes are fixed and that our roads are paved, that our schools are built. Um, we've got five, we paid, we're paying for five schools to get rebuilt. Only three of them are getting rebuilt, or at least we were told we were going to get five and we're only getting three. Um, so we've really overextended ourselves. I would say that um, in terms of entertainment versus education, education is going to come first. And I think that the city generally does a, um, should focus on trying to do a few things well rather than a lot of things poorly. Really quickly, for those that said now's not an appropriate time to have a yes or no, will the fifth and the city constituents know your answer before this November? Will you have, yeah, for Thad, Robin, you all said that now is an appropriate time to have an answer. Will people know before the election in November your answer on the Coliseum? So, so it's Thad. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think we do have an obligation to tell the voters where we're at mm-hmm. with this. So for me, it's either going to be uh, a no or it's going to be a yes with major changes or it's going to be a yes with some changes, and I have a feeling it's going. to, Well, I'm not even going to say yet because we're starting the analysis. Right. But but you know, whoever gets elected, unless you're a firm no, you're going to get more information. Yeah. So actually, you know, we, you're going to get more information after the fact, just just by the nature of things. So so yeah, I think I'm not trying to bait and switch anyone. I'm trying to do the opposite. Trying to be as transparent as possible. But I'm going to say here's why I stand. You know, and if something dramatically changes after getting elected, I will let people know in you know, chapter and verse, here's why I learned that it was different, and here's why I think a yes or a no vote is in the public interest, mm-hmm. you know, and consistent with the values I ran on. Okay. That's fair. Um, yes, I will give an answer before the election. Great. Okay. And Stephanie, did you give a yes or no? Yeah, I mean, I, I share the same sentiment, and I think we are learning more um, as time goes on. I want to point out something, though, that is super critical um, as a fail, what was supposed to be a fail-safe and what was supposed to be a platform to provide more education, and that is the Navy Hill Commission. Um, the individuals on that commission, we put a lot of eggs in that basket, um, and there seems to be no other unbiased, uh, and that's arguable, you know, some some, some folks would it's argue that biased. as well, but there, there, there seem. It seems to me I'm having a difficult time finding unbiased, digestible information and getting my basic qu- questions answered. Mm-hmm. We have to do something about that. Mm-hmm. We have to call for an unbiased. A commission or group or a group of folks to develop for the public PowerPoints, one pagers, educational materials. Um, until we have that and until I feel like we've gone through the process of truly engaging and informing the public and quite frankly myself, um, I, I don't know how I can get to yes um, without getting some of those questions answered. Okay. Can, can I uh, piggyback? I think, uh, I think Quickly, we, um, we have about two minutes left. Okay, super quick. I, I think Stephanie is making a good point. And one of my key questions is I, I don't know the basis for their number on total revenue, and I don't know their basis for their estimate of how much money would be made even without the Coliseum. 
And those are the two critical numbers mm-hmm. in the whole thing. City Council. Those are actually in the report? The, the, yes. I want to know what the bases are. The opportunity are. cost what, analysis yeah, the, the, is not there. There's right. been no estimate right. of what happens if all those pu- the non-tax, the tax-exempt po- properties are sold. That can be sold by the city. Okay. I think city council needs a stronger independent economist to be able to do this kind of analysis mm-hmm. instead of having to hire out case by case mm. when these things come up. Okay, great. Jermichael, really quick. Yes, and, and, and really quick, I think one, understanding the work of the commission is important, but also having city council bring in their own outside independent uh, consultant. The consultant to review this project, mm-hmm. uh, but also making sure that this project is more transparent, but also folks understand that this is an ongoing deal. Like, mm-hmm. it will be negotiated. It will not get through the way it currently is because if it would they would have proposed it already right and they don't have the votes um (laughs) thank you there we go so this is chelsea higgs wise again with race capital and i can't get out of here without asking some very specific questions on interrogating our racial lens here in the formal capital confederacy so i'm going to ask the same question to everyone you will say your name and give your answer this is literally a 10 second answer rapid response there are only two questions so we'll do this one first because it was brought up Um, so say your name and this is a truly yes or no statement but figure it out in 10 seconds Uh, should richmond police department release the name of the officer that threatened the albert hill students yes or no? Jermichael McCoy, yes. Nicholas De Silva, yes. Stephanie Lynch, 100%, yes. Thad Williamson, yes. Robin Mines, yes. Graham Sturm, yes. Beautiful, and we'll start back around with Graham for the final question from uh, Race Capital. Monuments, come down, stay or contextualize? Say again. Confederate monuments, come down, stay or contextualize? I think they should be moved to a museum. They belong in a museum and contextualized. That, as I came out on the 4th of July, they need to go. Stephanie Lynch, museum and contextualized. Agree with Robin. Nicholas De Silva, tear them down. We will not make statues to white supremacists. Jermichael McCoy, they can be removed and the General Assembly should pay for it. There you go. Now, mm. Okay. We want to thank you guys uh, today for coming, participating, giving us your honest, transparent answers. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate your time and we wish each and every one of you luck. Mm-hmm. And we will see you guys on Election Day. Yep. And even to the winner, we'll see you next year when you have to run again in 2020. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Thank you all for listening to now a joint show for today with Race Capital and RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. As always, Flint still has dirty water and now so does New Jersey. RPS is fully funded this year, but we need to start working on next year already. And Richmond is still racist, but we're working on it. Talk to y'all next week. Bye, y'all.